right. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. We are going to jump into verses fourteen through sixteen today. It's an interesting thing as we've been going through the first chapter in First Peter. I don't know if you've noticed this, but was it wasn't until last week that we finally got to a command. And most of the time when you're reading through scripture and you're hearing preachers, what you're looking for is somebody to tell you what to do. Right? It's like, okay, that's great. Now tell me what to do. And it wasn't until verse 13 that we actually got to a command in First Peter. We spent all the time up to that point talking about the greatness of the salvation that we have in Him. Who we are in Christ, that we are elect exiles, that we are on the outskirts of town, that we're the outsiders, that we're the people that have to influence from the outside with the gospel, that God in all of His knowledge, all of His foreknowledge, all of His goodness, all of His mercy has made us alive now in a living hope that we have a hope for today because of what has been done by Jesus and we have a hope for every day because of what our hope is in for the future that we have a savior who is returning a savior who we will see face to face that our whole salvation is wrapped up in Jesus and so we hear this over and over again we hear of the greatness of this salvation that we have that even angels are wowed by it at every turn that they can't get enough of looking into the salvation that has been granted to us by grace through faith this is the glorious reality in which we live and then we're told the first command, and it's an easy one, it's at least one that we'll all sit there and go, yeah, I can grab hold of that one. That makes for a good sermon. In fact, last week I had a lot of you come up and tell me what a great sermon I preached. I really appreciate that. I think it was because we all felt good last week when we walked out because it was about hope. And we like hope, right? Hope is good. Hope is great. Hope is fantastic. And we're told to hope in this King who's coming back. Hope. In the glory of Jesus. We're told to hope in Him. So we can all get on board with that. Everybody on board with hope. You're all on, hope, on board with hope. Okay. How about the second command? Be holy. Oh, man. It's just not nearly as much fun to hear. It's a lot more fun to preach. I'm not going to lie to you sometimes. Right? But it's just not nearly as much fun to hear about. Be holy. We want to hear about hope. But here's what Peter wants us to know. When we have our hope placed And the one who is our king, who is holding our salvation in heaven for us and is securing us and who we will see face to face one day. And he is our hope. He is our everything. Then we will be holy. That's what's going to happen. That holiness is rooted in that hope. You don't have hope in Jesus and then live however you want. There's a little phrase, little idiom that people have used for years. And it's one of my favorites. I like to just throw it around every once in a while. Willy-nilly. Everybody knows that one, right? Willy-nilly. There's a lot of Christians living that way. Willy-nilly. Anybody know what willy-nilly means? Anybody not know what willy-nilly means? Okay. Here's what willy-nilly means. It's kind of letting it fly. However it comes. And we don't put much thought into how we have to live every day in this hope. So he doesn't just want us to have hope. He wants us to have a living hope that actually changes our lives. A living hope is not just a hope that goes, well, I hope one day I'll see Jesus. It's a hope that actually transforms our every day as opposed to us just kind of trying to make it heading through life, whatever comes. We're supposed to be people of hope, but we're supposed to be people of holiness 
as well. And what you'll find throughout First and Second Peter is that Peter draws this correlation between people who have hope in Jesus and a hope, a future hope of seeing Jesus face to face will tend to be holy. And then he says he seems to have this idea that those who call themselves followers of Christ that don't live holy lives tend to have lost sight of the hope in the coming Jesus. That actually having that mindset and having that right idea about hope in Jesus produces holiness. And when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of holiness. That the people who think the most of Jesus are the people who are the holiest. The people who dwell on who he is the most are the people who are the holiest. The people who are actually transformed. In verse 13, Peter comes to a command and he says, set your hope fully on the coming fulfillment of your salvation when you see Jesus face to face. He tells us to do this by preparing our minds, by thinking long and hard about the gospel of understanding, thinking soberly of who Christ is and about who we are in Christ. But here in the second command, he says this. As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In verse 13, Peter instructed us to fix our hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to us in Jesus Christ. Peter, and then if you look back at John, understand that all of our future hope promotes holiness in this life. When we, whatever we have placed our hope in for the future is what we're going to live for today. Everybody with me on that? Whatever you've placed your hope in for the future is what you will live for today. It's what will produce fruit in your life today. First John chapter 3, John puts it this way. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And then in verse 3, he says this. And everyone who has this hope that we will see Jesus and we'll be like him when we see him, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What John says is that anyone, everyone who longs for Jesus and to see Jesus face to face will purify himself, will be pursuing holiness. This is the test. It's not anything less than that. The test for Peter and John is be holy for God is holy. That's the test in this world. It's not what are your politics? Are you this? Are you that? It's not are you Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever. It's are you holy? Are you pursuing godliness? Are you pursuing holiness? Because those who place their hope in Jesus will be people who pursue holiness. So command number one, hope. No problem there, right? We're all on board. Command number two gets a little dicey, right? I mean, we start drawing lines in the sand all of a sudden. We we look at Jesus and Jesus is no longer doing this. Jesus is doing this. Are you with me? Jesus is now drawing a line in the sand and said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Wow. Right? All of a sudden, Jesus has gone from cuddly to almost curmudgeon, right? 
We don't know what to do with that, Jesus. We don't know what to do with that, Jesus, because it's a little too pushy for us sometimes. And yet I ask you, what are you going to be proclaiming in heaven all the time when you see the Father, when you see Jesus? What are you going to be proclaiming? Anybody know? What's going to be the first thing that you're going to think when you see Him? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what we're going to be, that's what we're going to be enraptured by for all of eternity. So I ask you, if we're going to be enraptured by His holiness for all of eternity, might we try to be enraptured by His holiness today? Nobody's in heaven, and as much as God is love, nobody's in heaven going, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. Nobody's doing that, right? What are they proclaiming right now in heaven? As we worship today, what are they proclaiming? What? You say it. You know it. I've already told you. Go ahead. Holy, holy, holy. So what should we be rejoicing in? His holiness. I want us to be people who rejoice in who He is. Not just in what He's done, but in who He is, because He acts in love towards us because of His holiness. He acts in grace and mercy toward us because of His holiness. He acts in justice in the world because of His holiness. His holiness is who He is. But I don't want you to miss something. There's something really important in these verses. You see it in verse 14 and you see it in verse 17 too. But it all goes all the way back up to verse 2. All of this command to holiness, all of this command to hope, and next week all of this command to fear, is wrapped up in God is our Father. Let me say that again. God is our Father. Look at verse 14. As obedient children. Look at verse 17. If you call on Him as Father. Look back at verse 2. Does it say? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. We have a Father in heaven. So this is His love toward us that He would be revealed in this way and that He would call us to holiness. The One who has redeemed us is also the One who's going to make us more and more like Jesus. So when we say holiness, what do we mean? I think it's important for us to understand what we mean by holiness. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word Kadesh in the Old Testament and the word Hagios in the New Testament both mean to be set apart, to be separate. A good way of putting this is to not be secular, to be completely other than the world. That's what holy means. Just to be completely other. So you can sit there and you say, there is an idol and there is God. And you can tell the difference. That that's not holy, that's holy. This is worthy of worship. This is worthy of praise. He is perfect, pure, set apart, holy. No, no blemish of any kind. And yet, not just that He hasn't any blemish in Him, he couldn't have any blemish. It would be impossible because he's completely separate. And so when we're talking about God as being holy, we're talking about what makes God, God. What makes God, God. And if we're going to love God, if we're going to know God, if we're going to be the people of God, we're going to have to celebrate and understand a little more of his holiness. And then when we're called to be holy... The New Testament calls us to be 
separated from the common use. So this is what it looks like. Being a pastor does not make someone holy. You've all figured that out in eight years, right? To be a mechanic and be holy is just as essential as being a pastor and being holy. Because holiness is an all-of-life encompassing thing. It's not just the religious stuff that you do. Holiness changes the whole being. So if you're a student, you're called to holiness. If you're a parent, you're called to holiness. If you're a mechanic, if you're a nurse, if whatever you do, you're called to holiness. To be holy, for He is holy. You're called to be something more, something other. You're never just a mechanic. You're a child of the living God. You're never just a mother. You're a child of the living God, set apart to be holy. Holiness does not mean that you're going to be freed from the troubles of this world. We've already seen that, right, in 1 Peter 1. You're going to have trials. You're going to have troubles. Also, it doesn't mean that you're going to be free from the temptations of the world. G. Campbell Morgan said, Holiness is not freedom from temptation, but it's power to overcome temptation. So when we stare temptation in the face, we're able to overcome it because of God's holiness being produced in us. We're to live lives of integrity across the board. Holiness should involve every part of life. So if you're a different person at school than you are at church, that's not holiness. No matter how much you do at church to make up for it, it's not holiness. Holiness encompasses all of life. There was one anonymous source who said this, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. That your whole being is of one mind with God. You're operating in that mindset. And this is what else he says. He says, so you end up living so that the preacher gets to tell the truth at your funeral. And you know what I mean, right? That your whole life is marked by being a child of the living God. So that nobody's having to make up stories whether it was in public or in private, because holiness marks your whole life. So he says, be holy. Be holy as God is holy. Be holy for I am holy. Be holy in all of your conduct. How do we do that? Well, he gives us some clues here in 14 through 16. I just want to run through these quickly. The first is in verse 14. Look at it. You can see it right there. It says, as obedient children. So be obedient. Be obedient children. He's our father. Be obedient. We're supposed to be holy in verse 15 in all of our conduct. See, I don't want my kids as a father to just obey when I'm around, right? What do I want them to do? Obey all the time, right? I don't want them to not punch each other just when I'm looking, right? I want them to not punch each other when they're at their friend's house too. Everybody's with me? I, I want Not that they would ever do that. My kids are perfect, right? I, I, want, I don't want my girls to not whine when I'm at home because it inconveniences me. I want them to not be whiners. There's a big difference, isn't there? And so obedient children, he doesn't just say be obedient. He says be obedient children. Realize who you are. You have a father. 
He's the Lord of the universe. And He loves you. (laughs) Be obedient. Be obedient. He not only loves you, He's redeemed you. He's called, called you out of being children of the world. And He's called you to be His children. Be obedient. We're not just supposed to compartmentalize our lives into certain religious areas of life and certain secular areas of life. Certain things that have to do with God and certain things that don't have to do with God. All of our life is going to be affected. Psalm 1 puts it this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates whenever he feels like it. Or whenever anybody else is watching. Anybody know what it actually says? He meditates day and night. That our whole life, day and night, is encompassed by, this is what God wants from me. This is what God wants of me. This is who I am. Jesus drew a line in the sand that I don't think many of us want to deal with in John 15. He says, you are my friends. Sounds good, right? How many of you want to be a friend of Jesus? Because this is when everybody's hand should go up, okay? Let me just give you a clue. We're going to try that again. How many of you want to be a friend of Jesus? Okay, good. Here's the problem. He says, if. (laughs) You are my friends if you do what I command you. Wow. See, I can't get away with that. You can't get away with that. But Jesus can get away with that. He draws a line in the sand. 1 John, by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a, anybody? Liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. You want proof that you are in him? You want assurance that you are in him? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You want proof? You want to know? You want security? You want that sense of knowing that you are in him? Be holy for he is holy. That's what he tells us. I think we run by that too quickly, folks. I know I do in my life. I, I know I, I justify things that I should never justify. And I go, well, praise God for His grace for things that I should have absolute victory over. Because Jesus has not just given us grace, He's also given us victory over our sin. Not just given us forgiveness. He's told us we're no longer under that condemnation anymore. He's calling us not just to be forgiven people, to be holy people. Jerry Bridges says we are 100% responsible for the pursuit of holiness. But at the same time, we are 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enable us to pursue holiness. So if you want to pursue holiness, pursue God. Pursue God to know Him. The pursuit of holiness is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps type of holiness. It's not how many things can I get right today. It's a running hard after Jesus, being the children of God and being obedient. He then goes on in verse 14 and says, do not be conformed. So first, be obedient children. Second, do not be conformed to your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to your former ignorance. Look at what he calls us. Can you believe Peter called us ignorant? That's what he says in verse 14, doesn't he? He says, you had, you're ignorant. But actually what he's telling us, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, he's telling us you're no longer ignorant. He says, don't be conformed to that ignorance. This is what he's telling you. You have no excuse. You know better. 
How many times have you said that to your kids? Kids, how many times has that been said to you? Husbands, how many times has that been said to you by your wives? Right? Many, right? Many. But you know better, right? How many husbands in here know that on an anniversary, appliances are bad ideas? Okay. Well, even then, give them flowers too. Okay? Yeah. Just to be safe. Like, there's just a safety feature, right? Where you go, I'll give you the appliance, but here's some flowers too. Okay? So, the, the fact of the matter is, we know. You know better, right? Peter's telling us, you know better. You're no longer ignorant. You're no longer darkened in your understanding. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You're now alive to who He is. You know how holy He is. You know how much He loves you. You know how near He is to you. You know He sees you. You act like He doesn't, but you know He does, so stop acting ignorant is what He says. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In fact, that conformed to that former ignorance is, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we once walked in them following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were conformed in our ignorance to Satan, not to God. He says, so stop it. That's what he says. Be conformed to God, not to Satan. That seems like a good idea, doesn't it? So why is it that we spend so much time and effort and energy conforming ourselves to things that are passing away? I I just ask you, because I have to ask myself this question. I'll ask you this question. How much time this week did you spend dwelling on thinking about worrying about things that are not going to last for eternity? Guess who else does that? Every lost person on the planet. Could it be that we've been called to something greater than that? Could it be that we're not called to think that way? That we're not called to live that way? That we're called to something greater? That we're called to conform to Jesus? Romans 12 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we want to know the will of God, if we want to know what it is to obey Him, we can't be conformed to this world. So don't be conformed to your former ignorance. No more excuses. The worst thing you could ever say, one of, well, that's it. there are things you could say to your wife that would be worse, so maybe, okay? But let me tell you, this is bad really really bad and it's one of the things I hate the worst I hate the most okay here you go I know the Bible says that anybody know what's coming next but but maybe we don't say that all the time with our lips but I ask you how often do we say it with our lives How often do we say, but to the Word of God? We know better, don't we? Everybody in the room, you know better, right? Everybody at this point, we know better. I want us to live as people who know better, and we won't act like the ignorant people we used to be.
we're told that the people that we were were darkened in their understanding, who were foolish in our way of living, that we said in our hearts, there's no God, it doesn't matter what He thinks of us or what we think of Him. And we're called fools for that. I don't want us to live that way anymore. And finally, he says this. Be obedient, children. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If you want to be holy, look to the one who is holy. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He doesn't say, come up with your own notion of what holiness is. He doesn't say, come up with a list of rules to follow. He says, look at Jesus if you want to know what holiness is. The one who has called you is holy. Be holy. Don't come up with your own script of holiness. Look at him. J.C. Ryle said, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment. So we agree with what God agrees with. We hate what God hates. We love what God loves. And we measure everything in this world by the standard of his word. We don't come up with our own standard. God's word declares it. It's our standard. If we want to be holy, holy is knowing the mind of God. And good news, folks, he's given it to us. And he's gone a step further. He's not only revealed himself. He's revealed himself fully in Jesus. He's revealed himself in everything we need for life in his word And He's revealing Himself every day by the Spirit who dwells in you if you're His children. Because He wants us to know Him. But... I mean, how often do we live that way? Oh, what we have been given. Look to the One who is holy because He's the One who makes us holy. Be conformed to Him. Be transformed by Him to be like Him. It's an amazing thing to think that the one who is holy, the Bible consistently calls holy, holy, holy. He's the holiest. His love, His mercy, His justice, all holy. His grace shown to us in Jesus, holy. His nearness to you is the nearness of the Holy One. He doesn't stop being holy in order to be near to you. He is holy, holy, holy. It's the way God is known in the Bible. It's at the center of His character. And if we're going to know Him, if we're going to love Him, we're going to have to get to know His holiness. We've got to rest in, trust the Holy One. Andrew Murray says, There is none holy but God. And we have as much of holiness as we have of God. Because you're not going to find holiness anywhere else. Only in him. So in closing, the command is be holy. How? Know your father. Not just a lifestyle. Know your father. Get to know your father in heaven. Jerry Bridges says when we commit ourselves to the pursuit of holiness, we need to ensure that our commitment is actually to God, not simply to a holy lifestyle or a set of moral values. Offer yourselves to God. And in doing that, commit yourselves to the pursuit of holiness because you want to please Him. Because He's worth it. Because He truly is holy, holy, holy. Know the Father, not just a lifestyle. 
Second, how do we be holy? Hate your sin. Hate your sin. And don't be conformed to your old passions and your old ignorance. Don't make excuses. Let's just stop the excuses. Let's just all agree today we've got to stop the excuses. Because that's all they are. We, we think they're reasons, but they're excuses, right? Every time we go, but, 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 it's like, dog ate my homework, dog ate my homework, dog ate my homework. We all know it's ridiculous at some point, right? I was watching one TV show, one of these kids' shows one day, and the kid came in and said, yeah, I didn't get my homework done because my grandma died. Isn't that the fourth time this year, Johnny, <laughs> that your grandma died? I just ask you how many times we're going to make the same excuses before we realize that God has power over those. And we could submit to Him and He can change us. That's what His grace, that's what His holy grace looks like. He doesn't just forgive you, He changes you and makes you like Him. Jerry Bridges says again, as we grow in holiness, we grow in hatred of sin. And God being infinitely holy, guess how much hatred of sin He has? An infinite hatred of sin. He hates sin so much that He sent His Son to die. Nothing but His Son could atone for our sin. If we would take it seriously, stop delighting ourselves in the sin and start delighting ourselves in the holiness of God, oh, what a change it would be in our lives. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, and I think this is tough, but I think it's true. Because Jesus Himself in John 17 in His high priestly prayer said, this is salvation that they would know God. They would know the Father and the One that You have sent. So to know Him, to know Him in His holiness, at the center of His character is to know God, and it's what salvation really is. And R.C. Sproul says, if you don't delight in the fact that the Father is holy, 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 then you're spiritually dead. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't delight perfectly. What I'm saying is if there's just no consideration whatsoever that God's holiness is a good thing for us, then he says, you may be in a church, you may go to a Christian school, but if there's no delight in your soul for the holiness of God, then you don't know God because that's who God is. So we say we delight in God. We say God is the delight of our heart. But if His holiness is not at the center of that, we haven't gotten to know Him yet. Hey, good news. You can get to know Him. You can get to know Him. If you delight in Him even just a little bit and you're struggling for that passion to know Him more, right now just say, God, I, I can't drum up passion in my life to know You. I need You to produce that passion in me. I want to know You more. I want to... I want you to make me holy. I want you to change me, to transform me. I don't want to be out of touch with you anymore. I don't want to be asleep to who you are. I want to be awakened to who you are, to know you and your holiness. Because for eternity, I'm going to be calling you holy, holy, holy. I want to delight in that today. So really what Peter's telling us is this. The things you're going to delight in for all of eternity, what if? They were the delights of your soul today. What would that change? How would it change the way you treat people? How would it change the way you live in this world? How would it change what you watch, what you say, what you do, what you spend your money on? What would it change? He seems to think it would change everything. I would tend to agree with him. I think it would change everything if all of us lived 
to delight in the things they were going to delight in for eternity. Ten billion years from now, ten trillion years from now, what are you going to be delighting in? Because you have the same Jesus today who will be with you then, you can delight in those things today. So what does it look like? I want you to just hear these words. And close your eyes because I think this is a moment of prayer for us. Maybe a moment of confession for you. For me, it has been. To say, Lord, I, I need to be holy. The only way to be holy is to understand who I am in you and to rest in you and to trust you and to pursue you. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds and their ignorance. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And that's who we were before Jesus. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that's who we were before Jesus. And then he says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. But today, I don't want to assume that. You may be here today and you haven't been taught that God is a holy God and that he hates sin but loves sinners so much that in the middle of our sin, He sent His Son to become sin for us, to take all of our sin upon Him, Himself, to die in our place. And then He rose again, defeating sin and death, our greatest enemy, so that we can be His. And He calls us children when we place our faith in Him. When we turn from our former passions, our former sins, our former ignorance, and are enlightened to who He is and trust Him. He calls us His children. You didn't learn Christ this way, so why do we live this way? You've heard about Him. You were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, Creating, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, here's how we're to live. Having put away our ignorance, here's how we live. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, Lord. Don't let us be angry and sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. Lord, do not give an opportunity to the devil in our hearts, in our church, in our families, let the thief no longer steal. Lord, make us honest people. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share, share with anyone in need. Make us compassionate. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Lord, tame our tongues, but only such as is good for building up. Make us not just tame tongues, but give us life in our tongues as it fits the occasion that you may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, may we fear grieving the Spirit because of our sin and may we rest in the Spirit who dwells in us because we've been sealed by Him for the day of redemption. 
So, Lord, take all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and put it away from us along with all malice so that we would be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, make us as holy as pardoned sinners could be. And we thank you that that's to be like Jesus one day. Lord, we rest in that hope. We live in that hope. And we want to pursue holiness in that hope. Help us to do that by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to read Scripture as we go. Thank you for your patience and for hearing. I pray that the Word will do this work in our hearts to make us more and more like Jesus. Let's read together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Go and pursue God and in doing so pursue His holiness. Amen.